0: This is Pass the Mic.
1: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend,
0: Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? How you doing? Hey, man, it's good. It's great. It's always fun to be back on the mic with you, especially just to be able to catch up with you, man. It feels like a privilege. You've been busy. You've been doing some things. What you been up to? Man, see, I knew you was going to spring
1: something weird on me. The way you started a podcast, I was like, hold on, what's he about to do? <laughs> That's
0: not right. Yeah, you always talk about Blue Check Verified, but you're you, you, you going worldwide now. You talking, you, you're yes, in the man. halls of power, speaking truth to power.
1: Listen, man. Yo, so I have the opportunity to work with another organization um, alongside The Witness, uh, which is called the Justice Conference. And so we recently just had some justice institutes, which are basically deep dives into sectors of justice um, in the American context. And so the first one that we did was actually in D.C. We talked about immigration and advocacy. And what's connected to that conference is we had the opportunity to go to Capitol Hill and talk with the the staff of um, or the staffs I should say of congressmen and senators and people in power to advocate for them welcoming the stranger biblically, which was crazy, um, which was an experience I'll never forget. But actually, the brother who designed our website, an amazing dude named John Aragon, he actually uh, was there with me with his wife Keena. And so, shout out to John and Keena, what's going on, y'all? We were actually holding down the Florida delegation. It was just three of us at the conference. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> You had two Florida men up there, if y'all know the mean Florida man, it's a real thing um so me and John were there representing the Florida men, and uh Kina was able to pray over the staff of Marco Rubio's office, one of our senators so that I was crazy mm-hmm. um so man it was it was just a great opportunity, and so we had Chicago and then we have l a coming up as well um where we'll deal with other issues. but uh, one thing I'm really excited about man is in October, I get to go to the Justice conference in South Africa. To kind of give them a global Whoa. glimpse. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yo, just I'm really, I'm really thankful. It's my first time overseas. Pray that my passport gets corrected. Listen, let me tell you about the US government, man. Like, yo, let, we gotta <laughs> talk about this, man. <laughs> Listen, happened, my wife man? jokes with me. Whenever, whenever my voice gets high, you know I'm upset or something's wrong.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, but That's let me tell you about the US
1: government, though. Let me tell you about the US government. All right. I put in my application for the passport. I've never been overseas. First international trip, man. I'm just a Southern boy. I'm just a country boy from the South, okay? I'm just going to tell y'all. That's just who I am. So I put everything in, did all my stuff, got it expedited, sent back to me, pick it up. I'm like, yo, I didn't expect it to get here so quick. So I'm running in the house, had a rough day. I'm really excited, showing it to to the fam. And then my wife pulls it out. She says, hold up, your name Burks? I said, Oh, Oh, what? Bruh, they messed up my passport. So, I may need y'all to tweet at the passport office. I, they said they was gonna correct it, but I may need all y'all. No, I'm kidding, but I may <laughs> need maybe like a full campaign because they messed up one letter, one letter of my name. I don't have a hard name, brother. My name That's isn't Zakowski. My name is Burns. That's it. B u r n s. I always say this like your skin burns. Come on, man. <laughs>
0: they messed it up. So cheesy. My man. Oh man. Wow. Well, I hope you get that sorted out, man, because we definitely need your voice worldwide. Um, but yeah, they'd be messing stuff up like that. So I hope you get it taken care of. Ask questions. And just like you did on Twitter with that viral tweet, double check your voter registration. Double check your passport. <laughs> yeah. man. Double check everything. Bro. You know,
1: double check your yeah. life. Double check your social security. <laughs> <laughs>
0: double, check, double check your a, existence. The whole theology behind that, huh?
1: Come on now, okay, all right. I, but I didn't realize I was touching on something, Yeah. But see, speaking of voices that we need, I got to tell you, all I just received, it's fresh off the press, I just got in my inbox, that PDF. Listen, I'm telling you, all I'm selling it out the trunk, the color compromise, I'm selling it out the trunk in manuscript form, can't do color for you, and I also do a bootleg audio book for you, just yeah. at the right price. So hit me up. DM me at burns23. My DMs are open. Fun, so DM man. me for that for the audiobook, that bootleg audiobook <laughs> of The Color Compromise. I got y'all. But bro, He's I just joking. got it. Man, I'm I'm actually stopping the read to record with y'all.
0: This crazy, man. You're oh, a published well, author,
1: you, bro. Man. I got the full manuscript, bro.
0: The hotness we working on endorsements now. The book is coming along. We had a marketing call. We got some videos coming for y'all. Social media campaigns. It's hotness, man. It's it's, it's fire. It's podcast. Enjoy working hey, with the release. Really... Yes, yes, yes. And if you want more updates, I know we talk about it here all the time. Sorry, but you know, it's kind of a big project, so it's in my brain all the time. But if you want to keep up with updates, go to the com. That's the com. Sign up for my newsletter to get regular updates. I won't flood your inbox, but you can find out historical facts, some interesting interesting things I'm learning along the way, as well as you can pre-order the book at thecolorofcompromise.com. So I'm excited for y'all to read it, but keep me lifted up in prayers. You know, we've been attacked, we've been hacked, we've been criticized, we've been dragged through the mud for the things that we say about race and justice, even though we're trying to build up and not tear down, even though we're trying to unite and not divide, folks see it differently. So when you think of it, Lift up the book, lift up Brothers Up, um, even the whole Witness team, which has been really supportive throughout this whole process. But a lot of love from y'all. Uh, I appreciate it from Facebook to Twitter and, and different posts that I've got. And look, man, Tyler, we got some amazing listen. listeners. And I'll tell well, i tell you, I'm, I'm not even going to just say it, though. We have proof. Listen. We have quantifiable proof of the hotness listen. of our listeners. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen.
1: Do y'all want
0: to listen? Gotta say the T. Do y'all want to know how awesome you are? So, you know the story. We just got our iTunes feed back up. We just got the podcast back up, but we had no ratings, no reviews. We had to start from scratch. So, we asked you to help us. So, it was a Monday that we asked, and we had 60 re- ratings and reviews on iTunes. By Friday, y'all have given us 450 ratings and reviews. It's amazing. Bruh. I'm speechless, man. I'm speechless. And here's the thing. What was so fun is I watched our ratings tick up and up and up. You know, first it was nine. Then it was eight. Then it was four. We peaked out at the top three. We were right behind Joel Osteen's self. So, we were close. We were
1: trying to catch them though. We was we was trying to get all our info. We I'm, t- I'm telling you we was driving through the city like, "Yo, just just rate this, rate
0: this real quick." Like, "Yo, you know me, right?
1: Just give us a five star real quick." You know. Pull out, you your know, phones, pull out the
0: phone. But for real, y'all were amazing. You mobilized, you spread the word and yes. you got us maybe even uh close to or even surpassed what we were before. So they meant it for evil. God turned it around for good and we can't thank y'all enough. He Appreciate turned. you so much. Uh, yes. He turned it. It's <laughs> a theology,
1: it. bro. It's a theology.
0: Look. <sighs> oh, gonna- man, I'm telling you, listen man. We're going to be reading some of your reviews in the upcoming episode. So if you haven't rated and reviewed, go for it. Like I said, we are at 450. We got a solid five star rating, but we still need your help. The more you do that, the more visible we are. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have already done it. Y'all are awesome. You're excellent. You're great. We appreciate it.
1: Yo. So one of the things about being on a hiatus, and I echo everything you said about our listeners, because I'm so glad we're back. Actually before we get into our topic, I did want to say one thing that on the whole idea of, you know, criticism that we get or attacks or hacks or people who call us out or whatever it may be. I was talking to one guy on Twitter. I think his name is Brad. So shout out to Brad. But um, he's on some some really great work as it talks about the statement of, of social justice um, that we talked about before on the podcast. And I was telling him, I was like, man, one positive word of encouragement drowns out a thousand criticisms. <laughs> like that's just what we're on right now. I mean, we're on looking at the positive. We're on looking at people who are affirming us. And so we spend a whole lot more time um, operating in circles that already affirm us than constantly having to prove ourselves to people who weren't going to accept us in the first place. Um, so just reading through those reviews was just deeply encouraging. And it made me emotional because um you know, this isn't something that we mystify. This isn't something that we think is glamorous. Um, people may see us at an event or people may be like, Oh, you're able to go to this place or that place, but we got real lives, real concerns, real families. And so we don't really we don't really think that this is some glamour job, but we do think that, you know, when we hear that this has impact, um, when we hear that, that this has influence with people and encouragement, that means so much to us. Um, but anyway, so when we we're talking about the hiatus, man. One of the things that happens on a hiatus, whether it's planned or it's forced, and this is something we're so sensitive to, we miss things. We just miss some things, y'all. Like, it's crazy. So big events, serious topics, um, fun stuff, memes, all kinds of stuff. We just miss it. And we missed a huge cultural moment while we were on break, and that's the passing and funeral of the queen of soul, man, Aretha Franklin, bruh. Man, I was blown away and I was so sad, but I was like, man, if there's anyone that should be remembered the way in which we're remembering her, it's the queen of soul, bro.
0: That's right. That's absolutely right. She was and is a a giant in the music industry, has been doing her thing for decades, got her start in the church, like so many of our beloved artists. Yes, a
1: daughter of the Black church, for real, a real, true daughter of the Black church.
0: So Queen of Soul has thick meaning, not just soul music, but what she's singing about and how she sings. So it was it was a wonderful time to reflect on her life, but also mourning the passing of one of the great ones.
1: And what was so interesting is we had this was a a huge funeral. So this happened a few years back when Whitney Houston passed as well. We had these massive televised funerals, which are always very fascinating and sometimes extremely entertaining. Maybe they shouldn't be as entertaining as we make them, uh, um, but, but I think we just turned things into entertainment with Twitter, with all these social media, immediate reactions. And it's fascinating because it was held at Greater Grace Temple in Detroit, which has done big funerals before. So they were actually the location for Rosa Parks Funeral as well. So I think this was in like 2005. So they know something about doing Major, massive funerals, and the guest list was crazy, man. The guest list was a who's who yes. of dignitaries, celebrities. You got Hillary Clinton, her husband, President Bill Clinton, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, wow, William Sharp. Barber, yeah. the Clark six, Clark sisters, Michael Eric Dyson, T D. Jakes, Tyler Perry. The governor of Michigan was there. You know, Flint still don't have clean water, but he made himself. You know, he made his way down there. Um,
0: yeah, Fantasia,
1: all these people, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was there was Farrakhan. I was like,
1: man, how did Farrakhan get on the stage, bro? Like, listen, I was like, what? Listen, how did he listen. get on the stage?
0: Like, I know you don't want to dive hey, into yeah. it yet, but I got to make this one point. The expansiveness of the black church in terms bro, of bro. who it can cooperate with on what. Now, oh, folks, did not t- I don't know if you were going to go there, but I was looking at go pictures. Ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. And I was like, how are all these people sharing the same platform. And to me, we've talked about this before, there has always been in the Black church tradition, a sort of big tent idea, theologically, which doesn't mean you agree with everything everyone else is saying. It means that we can still cooperate on certain things, like, like speaking at a funeral and not get all up in mm-hmm. arms because you believe something different about this doctrine or that doctrine. I mean, that 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 can be an advantage, it can be a disadvantage, but on the whole, I think there's yeah, something it's, to love. it's a
1: double-edged sword, for off. real. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh it but you know, when both you can ways. come it together, does. it's yeah, but in, yeah, so in a, in a funeral or something when you can come together like that, I think it can be positive. Um but obviously oh, right you've got to be able to cooperate with folks and hold your boundaries too. Um, nevertheless, coming from the tradition I'm from theologically, which is more theologically conservative, you didn't see that a whole bunch. So when I saw that on stage, I was like, wow, mind blown that you have room for all of this. So that that was just something I thought about right. and remarked on.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And it's interesting watching it because as most of you know, part of my position as a pastor is attending funerals. So that's a huge part of the pastorate is comforting people in a time of grief. And so on average, Jamar, I'll be honest with you, I attend probably two to three funerals per month, um, either hosted at our church or officiated at neighboring churches, wow. be, uh, either on program there or reading resolutions and acknowledgements at our church, or um, even being the master of ceremonies at funerals and, So when people watch these funerals, I'm always fascinated by their reactions and responses because there are just some things you have to expect that are gonna happen at most black funerals. And all, all funerals are not created equally, all black funerals are not created equally. But I'm just gonna tell you: like most funerals, most of black funerals typically showcase the good, the bad, and the ugly of the black church. Huh. So there's some really, really good. There's some stuff that you're like, eh, I don't really know about that. And then there's some just downright ugly stuff. Okay. Uh-huh. So let me get into a couple of these, just a couple of these for the people. The first is this you have to know that black funerals are probably going to be longer than <laughs> you expect.
0: No doubt.
1: Okay. Now, I don't think y'all understand when I say that. Like, you know, I understand when you go to a black church, black church service, you're like, okay, it's going to be a little bit longer. No, 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 no. What y'all think when y'all say black church service is going to be longer? Is you think it's going to be 30 minutes longer? This funeral was scheduled to be six and a half hours long. Scheduled. <laughs> it was scheduled to be six and a half they hours. They planned long. that. It was not six and a half hours. How long was it? It was nine hours long. Ooh. Nine hours. And look, we were all watching it. Some of us, we tapped out at a certain point. We we're exhausted. We we're like, man, I can't. I can't take it anymore. Others of us were taking short breaks, coming back to it. Others of us were watching it at work. God sees you, okay? God saw your your browser history. <laughs> right? He saw that.
0: Um,
1: but you got to know it's going to be long. Here's another thing that was really getting me, Jamar, is there's this thing at the beginning called the processional, okay? This is when everyone is coming in as far as the family, friends, loved ones, anybody who the family wants to kind of be sitting on that one side representing the family of the deceased. And clergy always are supposed to stand for the entirety of the processional. Now, listen, I'm just going to be honest with y'all. If I know it's going to be a really, really long processional, I'm not just going to, and I'm not the master of ceremonies that is. I'm not just going to go up there before and just stand for like 30 minutes (laughs) or stand for like 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to stand in the back. And then once it's getting ready to wrap up, I'm walking up there. Now, the person that got me was Bill Clinton. So the president, Uh President Clinton was like, he was, he had this face like, why did I go (laughs) in with the clergy? Because you got to stand like at a certain, at a certain point they let them sit, but you're actually supposed to stand the whole time. So that's like a 30 minute processional with all the family and all the music and everything. And you just got to stand, you just got to rock out, man. So those were two things that off top, I was like. Man, y'all really don't know what this what's going on. Y'all really don't know how this goes.
0: And 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 the 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 you know the black church does honor really really highly, right? So they treat folks, they treat people close to the deceased.
1: Well, especially well, they, they do honor.
0: Go ahead.
1: We do honor. We do honor well for people in positions of authority, which we'll get into in yes, a minute. Yes, right? exactly. You know, people that, without I just authority, we don't we don't really honor as well. well.
0: Exactly, exactly. But that's a whole standing thing, right? Like it's almost like these are dignitaries coming in, which obviously, I mean, it's Aretha Franklin, right? So this isn't a normal funeral, uh, in that sense. But there are a lot of traits of you know, sort of black church tradition and, and black funerals in there. So, yeah, it was quite and beyond that, man.
1: See. Listen, you got to know everybody's going to have to give accolades. They're going to give honor <laughs> to God, give honor <laughs> to the pastor. <laughs> Give honor to the other pastors. Give honor to the family. Give honor to their they wife and their kids that are there. This is all normal. So when people are like, listen, they they need to keep it to five minutes per remarks. Mm, I'm like, not
0: like are you crazy? Not happening.
1: Like, that's not going to happen. Like, pastors are going to take long. They're going to milk every second because they there. And if they there, that means they coming from another church and it may not be their church. And if they step stepping into another pulpit, oh, they're going to take their time <laughs> because they got to acknowledge everything that the pastor has done. And then they got to acknowledge everything, every way that they knew the deceased. And then we're not even talking. This is one of the things that you didn't have in this particular funeral is you didn't really have too many, like they didn't, obviously didn't open the mic up for anybody. Now, if you know, if you open the mic up Ooh, May the
0: odds ever be ever that's in your favor. It. Every single black funeral, that's where something happens and takes forever. Listen, and let me let me tell you, I'll I'll
1: give you one story. Recently, actually, you know, I was thinking about death because one of our elders who's eighty-seven years old, he passed recently. And just a jewel of a man, an immigrant from Panama, uh, just a, a powerful, very short man in stature, but he was just really powerful. Like and good. his wife is um 84 years old as well and so she they're both in leadership and just faithful people loyal people and so she was basically you know she wanted to get up and say something at the funeral obviously and so we were all honoring her but before I get a text from her granddaughter and her and her husband had kind of been helping walk me through like everything that she wanted and so she sends me a text really quick and she's like um my dear wants to open up the floor and it's like right before the funeral starts. And so I'm like, oh, okay, wow. And she's like, I told her not to. And I was like, nah, it's cool. Like, we'll, we'll make it work. It's all good. We'll, we'll tell them to keep their comments at two uh-huh. minutes or less. It's all good. Uh-huh. And so and so she's, she's texting me when these people are coming up, just like telling me like, hey, you know, how many do you think we should do? I was like, listen, don't worry about it. It hasn't been that many so far. Like, it's all good. And then this one dude walks up. And she sends me like the scared emoji, like the, the big eyed <laughs> emoji. I'm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting on the stage. I'm like, yo, what's going on? Like, what's the deal? And so anyway, so he starts talking and then he mentioned something about his past. Like people weren't really in the family, weren't really like responding to him as much. And so I was like, yo, what's going on? So apparently this dude had like a real rugged past. So he was like a total coin flip. They had no idea what this brother was about to say. And so when he left, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but when he left, they texted me. They were like, yo, that was scary. And I was like, yo, what was going on? Like, I don't even know what's going to happen. But that's just one of the things, you know, that when you come to a funeral, people are in grief, people are talking, they might share some stuff that the family don't know about the deceased. They might say some things that might stir up some drama. I mean, may the odds ever be in your favor. (laughs) Like, that's really all I can say. And so- All these things you saw in a microcosm at Aretha Franklin's funeral. But the one thing I loved, man, that was the best of the black church that I saw was the music, bro. Oh, my goodness. Listen. Listen, Jamar. Listen. (laughs) Bro, this music was crazy. You had all these people up there, but the the group I got to mention... Because they are gospel music royalty is the Clark yes, Sisters. Yes, yes. Clark sisters got up there and shut
0: it down, bro. It's that thing. It was crazy, man. It was. It was beautiful. Sort of the best of the black church. Even if you ask somebody today who just sort of popped in and popped out, or you look at the highlights, the music is always up there. It was it was like you're saying some of the best of the black church. Um folks just yeah. Just doing these amazing runs, and it was so soulful, and it was beautiful because it was in tribute to the Queen of Soul. So there was a point and a purpose to it all. But yeah, man, I mean, you you couldn't watch or listen to that without getting your spirits lifted.
1: Now, I got to be honest, though, there was some ugly at this Ooh, funeral too. Talk about it. Was talk that about was it was some real ugly. Now, this is something that you kind of know and expect within the Black Church, um, and this is kind of near the end of the of the funeral itself and this was something a lot of people talked about and that's the eulogy now the eulogy was given by um a very famous pastor and so this pastor is well known in black preaching circles and so I was actually excited because I was like wow this is going to be really interesting but eulogies at black funerals are often very strange like they're they're probably going to be a little strange and i don't mean this in a negative sense so to speak but these the eulogies typically there are a lot of pastors that don't do eulogies about the deceased and about the deceased family. They do eulogies kind of from a and in a kind of self-serving perspective as kind of a pulpit to share their opinions about certain things. And so that's what happened. that Everybody was going crazy about it. And, you know, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I was like, well, you know, this is a problem. But at the same time, this is kind of what you expect. And it's unfortunate because it was the Queen of Soul. And it's unfortunate because there's so many people who are watching. And it was a, a very, to me, regressive message that was given. But at the same time, it, it's also kind of typical, <laughs> um, you know, people are like, man, well, you know, you have some funerals that are like, they they go straight to Christ and they lift up the positive attributes of the deceased. And that's amazing. But that's kind of 50-50. So most eulogies you'll hear will probably actually be a little strange. You'll be like, well, what was that? And I have to talk about um, Ariana Grande. And I believe I'm saying her name right. I don't know. Like my sister was making fun of how I was saying her name, but Ariana Grande, um, this was another seriously ugly part of the black church. And when I watched it at first, I did not see what was happening in real time. Like I could not figure it out. And so when people brought it up at the end, I was like, really? And so I, I watched it back and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So basically the presiding bishop who was there had clearly touched her inappropriately. And there was some sort of intent going on there. I don't know what happened, but you know, one of the things that I wanted to say as a person who talks about the Black church so much is I can't just be the one who talks about the Black church from a standpoint of, of lifting it up and praising it, but we also got to critique it as well. So if we are truly part of the Black church and if we are drawing from it, we also have the right to critique in certain ways. And um, one of the things that people have been saying is, oh, well, this is kind of normal. You know, he didn't mean it. And this is the culture of the black church. And it's easy to say that, but it's difficult to say the culture of the black church needs to change. And that's what I'm saying is we got to change the culture. If that's part of the culture, we got to change it. Like any sort of touching without consent, that's a problem. And I recognize that in some in some circles, that's just what you expect. You expect to come in and get hugged. But the, but the issue is we live in a different time. And we need to be careful about what that portrays. So I was ashamed in that moment. I was angered when I saw it. Um, and I was definitely incredibly heartbroken for her because she, this is happening on global international television. And a lot of us didn't even see it on our first watch. We were like, yo, what's happening right now? And then, you know, when someone slow mows it, when we can clearly see it, that's like, man, number one, we should have seen it in the moment. Like, she didn't ask to have his hand put around her, you know? Mm-hmm. We should have seen it in that moment, but we didn't. So it was one
0: that of those, was the
1: ugly, man. It was sad. It was, it was frustrating. It
0: was, it was ugly. It was enraging. It was one of those things. So he put his arm around her and had his hand in a very inappropriate place. And you could see how uncomfortable Ariana Grande was and how she knew she was on TV. Millions of eyes watching her didn't really want to make, too big of a scene, but really wanted to be anywhere else than where she was right now. And it was one of those things where when you see someone that uncomfortable, you yourself feel uncomfortable for them and with them. But it was also embarrassing and and infuriating because this is the Black church on display for all to see. And so you want to put the best out there and yet... (laughs) This happens, and it's in a it's in it's in the era of the Me Too movement as well, which I think helpfully we're all becoming much more aware of patriarchy and misogyny and the way that men uh, abuse power um, toward women, and 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 this is happening in real time on TV, and it's a black church, and he did something stupid, uh, said he didn't know her her name, thought it was a new special at Taco Bell or something, so. I mean, yeah, it that was, was just that was it was all trashy in that section. Um, and, and he did come out later and apologize. But I feel like the damage was done at that point.
1: Yeah, it was. And this was one of the things that really bothered me is that when I saw it originally, it's like, man, so much of pastoral um, hurt comes from passages needing to be funny. Like we don't have wow. to be funny. Like that's that was wow. the thing. I was like, yo, stop telling bad jokes at the expense of people to make yourself appear funny.
0: That's deep. Like, man.
1: we don't have to be entertainers. And like, so that was that was like an intense, frustrating moment for me because, because you know, sometimes there's a way to there's a way to be lighthearted and there's a way to be uplifting of someone that's not at someone's expense. But so much of the black pastorate sometimes so much of the pastorate sometimes just revolves around this idea of we need to tell the the quippy joke, and it's like, no, you don't. Like, you don't have to be funny. Like, honor and and not at someone's expense.
0: That's <laughs> you know.
1: So that was the real frustrating part, man. That's and, a word, though. You know what? One thing. Yeah, I mean, one thing I did see though is that when you come to a black funeral, what you're seeing is a range of emotions, and you're seeing the ability, even when in the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're seeing the ability to lament, you're seeing the ability to grieve and to have sorrow but also you're seeing the ability of celebration and the ability to lift up and the ability to hope in the midst of the darkness, which is crazy. And while we were gone, we also missed another major event. Mm. And this wasn't someone who was well-known or an international superstar, so to speak, but it's someone who had dignity. And he's someone who was created in the image of God. And he was taken far too soon from us in a way that we can't explain, in a way that's senseless. Um, Jamar, can you talk about Botham Jean a little bit?
0: So Botham Jean is black, um, lived in Texas. He t- was 26 years old, and I'm sure he woke up that morning and had zero clue that his life would be in any danger. Uh, even up to the moment before his death, he was in his apartment. Another person, Amber Geiger, who was a police officer and, um, white. She, her story is she thought she was at her own apartment. She was trying to open the door. When she finally did open the door, um, Botham Jean is there. She sees a larger figure than her. Um, it's dark in the apartment. She doesn't know who it is. She thinks it's an intruder according to her and shoots twice, hits him once in the chest. And he dies later at the hospital. And so this, when the news hit, it strikes us all. (laughs) For the last several years, we've been seeing videos and hearing stories of police brutality, uh, police of of many different colors, um, who are sort of using their right to bear arms and taking life as judge, jury, and executioner under very questionable circumstances. And so this was another one. But it also struck because number 1, the story kept changing. It's, it's a it's a really hard story to grasp in the first place, and then it kept mm-hmm. changing. And then number 2, this young man, it, he he's every he did everything America says a a young black man yes. should do. He did it. He was he was he was a an accountant, right? He was uh, an active member of his church. He led worship. And, brother, I still don't know what to say. Um, Brian Dye shared a video. Brian Dye of Vision Nehemiah uh, shared a video on Twitter of the last time Botham Jean led worship at his church. And he was singing. His voice was so beautiful. And I remember watching that video over and over. And I felt like I should say something but really i was speechless i was struck i was i was i was moved by his singing and by the music and i was heartbroken that this man of mm-hmm. god his life was stolen from him so soon by this person whose story doesn't seem to add up and and is a law enforcement right. officer so that happened man and she recently got fired uh from the police force Uh, it was for something curious, like how she reacted when she was getting arrested. They didn't say it was particularly over the shooting, but that case is still pending, but it's just another case, man, of, you know, a life taken without cause it seems.
1: Yeah. And I think the way in which it happened, it makes us feel like, man, this could really happen to us. Like, it's not, I know it seems far fetched. Like if someone would have came and said, he lived and he said she came into the wrong apartment and shot me. We would have said That's, that seems so far fetched, but it's real and it's, it's not a horror movie. Like it's our reality. And so when I thought about Aretha Franklin and her funeral, you know, someone who lived a long life, someone who accomplished so much, someone who was loved, someone who we feel the deep pain of when she's gone. But then when we see both of them and his killing, And when we see the injustice that's present there, I I thought about, man, this is really the experience of being Black in America, and especially being Black Christian in America, is you have to find some way to deal with death, bro. Like, how are we going to deal with death? Yeah. We see it televised right in front of us, and we see the casket, and we see the fanfare, and we see the pomp and circumstance, and we, we can watch it. And we interact with it and we forget that there's someone died. Like those kids lost their mother. Like those kids lost their grandmother. Like families lost a relative. We don't even see that. Like it's very distant and disconnected from us. And then we see both of them's funeral and we're like, what a vibrant example of everything we would want our kids to be. That's right. You know, he loved the Lord. He had a beautiful smile. He had an amazing voice. He was um, conscientious. He, constantly talk to his mother, like all these things that we say, like he made something of himself and both of them gone. And we forget that so much of the black experience in America is dealing with death. And a lot of times dealing with unspeakable, unjust death.
0: That's right. That's right. Like that's, death that's...
1: That doesn't make any sense to us. And so how do we even deal with this thing called death? And so it led to us having this conversation privately. We want to just have this, you know, in the last few minutes that we have. Like, what are we we supposed to do with this, this thing called death, Jamar?
0: I mean, I think one of the things that sticks out to me is what you said, like, a lot of times this death comes to us and it happens and it shouldn't happen. And so it can be a violent death, like Botham Jean, or it can be because of inadequate healthcare. I mean, man, I live in a small rural town. We don't have a hospital. We have like an urgent care center. Um, and like if something goes bad, you got at least an hour's drive to the next hospital that might be able to do something over and above what's, what's right around here. And if you don't have insurance, um, highly trained doctors, all of that stuff makes a difference in terms of healthcare. And then of course, the violence. That, that we have to deal with, and I think what, what what happens from a faith perspective to a lot of people is you have one of two reactions: in the face of so much death, and I'm, and I'm thinking historically here, all the way back to antebellum times, right? in the face of so much death, you either run from God or you run to God. So you can run from God because it seems so sens- senseless, it seems so pervasive. The sorrow seems so constant, and you think, how could a good God allow so much bad to happen uh, to good people Mm -hmm. and to people who didn't deserve it? And so you say, well, there must be no rhyme or reason, and you turn away and you turn to something else. Or, and I think this has happened in much of the Black church tradition, you run to God and you say, I don't understand it, but I know there has to be a reason, and I know God is good. So even though my mind can't grasp this suffering, and suffering's not good, you know, it's but but God can redeem it. And that's how black folks can say hold to God's unchanging hand. Cuz in a world mm-hmm. that is so full of inconsistency, so chaotic, so unpredictable, so uncontrollable, the only thing steady is God. And so many mm-hmm. people, especially our older saints, so many people say Look to God. Hold to God's unchanging hand. And I think you see that on display many times in a funeral, which comes across in many instances. If you close your eyes, you wouldn't even know it was a funeral because it's so celebratory. They're saying Mm -hmm. there's good here. Somehow there's going to be good. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to minimize evil or suffering. I just say that because I think it's an expression Of the way black people, black Christians in particular, have learned to live in the midst of pain and suffering that is in many cases inexplicable and yet still find hope and joy and perseverance in the midst of it.
1: Yeah, Henry Mitchell, who's one of the uh, fathers of black preaching, he says that the greatest difference in his mind between the black and white church in America, and he said this years ago, I think it was in the 70s. He said that the greatest difference between the black church and the white church is the way in which both deal with death. And it was fascinating to listen to him because he said, if you're going to track where that comes from, he said, you have to actually go back to the cultural roots. So if you go back to the cultural roots of Africa, he said that Christian missionaries, when they came over to Africa, they were trying to talk about the idea of eternal life, how eternal life was such a big thing in the West. But that Africans um, or people who were on the continent of Africa, regardless of where they went, particularly in West Africa, they didn't recognize eternal life as being something that was different from what they already believed. Like they already believed that the soul was eternal. So this whole idea of, oh, well, you can get eternal life is like, well, yeah, (laughs) of course, what other life is there, right? And so they would be like, well, Jesus is risen. And they would be like, aren't we all? (laughs) Right? Like aren't we all raised? Like, come on. Like, what, what, what do you mean? He said that the, the biggest difference wasn't the idea of eternal life. It was that in their hierarchical culture, the idea that God could become near to them was a game changer. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. oh, so you're saying God who was way up there, they had to go through protocol. They understood protocol. They understood authority. They understood the like sort of a pseudo caste system in that time where you know that not everyone is on the same level. But the idea of the incarnation like blew their minds that God would become near to them, become like them. Like, why well, would he do that? You know, mm-hmm. so that was a fascinating thing. But Western missionaries came over and tried to peddle this idea that, oh, you can have eternal life. And they were like, That's what we already believe. <laughs> you know, whatever way you think it, in whatever way they express it in their native religions and folk beliefs, that's just what they believed. That's just what they thought. And so it comes from a place where we recognize. And Mitchell said this too, I I think, um, I want to hope I get it right. But he said that to to him and from observing the African culture, birth and death are not opposites. That Mm. the opposite of, of death is not birth. The opposite of birth is not death, but that they're both all connected to what life is. That death is just a continuation of life. It's just in a different way. And so right. it comes from this rootedness that our culture and this is why it's so important for us to understand where we come from. It's so important for us to understand what's in our DNA even if we didn't, you know, meet our ancestors, even if we didn't meet our great 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 grandparents, what was passed on orally, what was passed on in the cultural values. And it's the idea that death is even even though you die, it's all life. Birth and death are all part of life. And so I think it as a Christian, as a believer, You sit back and you're like, wow, this is crazy that something that was culturally influenced can now express itself in the way that we preach the gospel. It can express itself in the way that in the way that we talk about Christ, in the way that we talk about death. And it's this idea that, man, God has created something that can't be destroyed. There's a body like Paul says, yo, there's there's a tent that can be be destroyed. But if this tent gets destroyed, there's a building. Right. Like I've got a building Mm -hmm. in heaven that's not made with hands. You know, and so this whole idea that, you know, where it comes from should grip us because it says that there's something deep in our tradition that gives us grief coping mechanisms, but at the same time, we can't deny what grief is, right?
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, I think it's really a picture of the gospel itself because what these traditions are showing is that there's not as big a separation between the eternal and the temporal as we sometimes think. And so the soul goes on living, even after the body dies. And we also right. see this connection between the eternal and the temporal embodied, and fleshed in Jesus Christ, where the eternal takes on the temporal and walks among us. And so the Lord has brought that near in a way that, like you said, blew people's minds. When you thought about right. the eternal God coming near to earthly creatures. And at the same time, death, as we know it, is an intrusion because that is not the, the way God originally designed us. He, he designed us to have life and life everlasting until we tried to live independently of God and death enters into the picture but that's the that's the hope of the gospel right is that even if they kill the body they can't kill the soul and that if we die then we go home to the lord to the lord we go home to live with the lord and that one day our physical bodies will be glorified which by the way is another support for the argument that the gospel and justice are not at odds because justice is concerned for the material state of your body and your life. And if God chooses to redeem our bodies, he, that means he cares about our bodies and he cares about how our bodies live and maneuver throughout this life and whether we can flourish in our bodies and poverty and injustice prevent that. So therefore the people who follow him need to work against those things and promote flourishing, which is means that justice is an organic integral part of the Christian life and not an add on or a distraction to it. So I just wanted to right. throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, that's good. It
1: reminds me of what Cone said uh when he was talking about the cross and the lynching tree when you know, someone asked him, like, how do you win if you get lynched? Like, he's like, the, the lynching tree shows us that even if people, the cross shows us that even if people kill you, they're not winning in the way that they think they are. And he was like, in the same way, even if they capture you, even if they beat you, even if they lynch you, even if they kill you, they don't win. Just because they think they've killed your body. There's there's a part of you that still exists. He's like, That's the whole point of religion. That's the whole point of why we believe what we believe. And you know, when we think about what is the challenge of death, how do we as believers deal with death? And this is kind of one takeaway that I want to leave you with. It's this idea that Mitchell gives when he's talking about Black funerals, when he's talking about the African tradition of mourning, of grief. He's like, you have to do your grief work. Like when a family member dies, you have to do what they call grief work. And so anybody who has been to a Black funeral knows that sometimes there's overt expressions of mourning and wailing and screaming. And what's fascinating is a lot of people say that's all right. Like a lot of people like, oh, that's all right. That's all right. And I think what people from the outside might assume that means is that, oh, that's all right. Like let's keep moving. They're in a better place. But what I interpret that as it's that's all right to cry like that.
0: That's right. That's right. It's
1: all right to grieve in that way. It's all right to mourn. It's all right to get because you have to come to that moment of catharsis. And there's another book I've been reading by a guy named Andre Reznor, and he's not a black preacher, but he kind of strikes a lot of these same notes. And it's a book called Living in Between. And it talks about lament, a justice, and the persistence of the gospel. And he does this whole chapter on uh, the witness of refused consolation. And what he's basically saying is that we like to move past the grief and sorrow of others. And if you're in any way, shape, or form doing justice work, which means you're pushing for justice in your local area, you're trying to talk with your friends and family members, you're trying to be an ally, you're trying to talk about what the Bible says about justice, in any way, shape, or form, you are used to people trying to rush you past overt expression that makes him uncomfortable. Like you're used to that. You're used to people saying, oh, well, don't don't do it like that. Because what they're trying to do is push you along and away from the grief that you feel. And Reznor says that there's actually a witness in refusing to be consoled. Bro, this blew my mind. He says in this chapter, I'll I'll quote you um, just a portion of it. He says, premature consolation for devastating, absurd loss must always be refused. Nothing in the story of the gospel covers it up, makes up for, or explains adequately enough the loss of the innocence. The gospel, he says, the gospel is horrible news, is the horrible news that when God enters the world, this world's powerful are so threatened that they scramble their resources to try to thwart God's plans. The gospel is truly gospel, not because it avoids the worst of our lives, and the worst of the human condition, but precisely because it plants itself squarely in the middle of the worst of it all. And what I want to express to us is that I believe we move on too quickly. We move on way too fast. We yeah. jump from one thing to the next. We say, all right, his funeral happens, so it's over. Both of them, John's blood cries from the ground, y'all. Mm. We need to sit in that. Justice has not been uh, has not been done. Justice has not been meted out. There is still someone who is out there who killed him. And so it is incumbent upon us as the witnesses of the gospel, witnesses of the resurrection. Not to just be like, all right, well, you know, they're gonna do what they're gonna do and forget about it until the trial comes. But think about his mother, think about his family, think about the people who knew him, think about his church community there are people who are still living with this and we move on we are too easily consoled when we see unjust death we're too easily consoled we think this is a game lives are at stake and so i want to say to to us as people black christians or allies of black christians or just believers however you would characterize yourself whether you're woke whether you're unwoke whether you're trying to get woke i don't know what your, your terminology is I want to encourage you to sit in it. I want to encourage you to sit in the reality that there is a time to refuse, even if it's believers, even if it's Chris, even if it's pastors, even if it's people you respect who want to move you quickly along down the field. Yeah, 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 let's move on. Why do they want to move, move you along? Because it makes them uncomfortable. I'm a pastor. I've been in those rooms where people are crying so much, you don't know what to say to them. But in that moment, we need to sit in the lament, sit in the grief, sit in the loss. Because I believe God meets us there. God doesn't just meet us in the ultimate consummation of things, but God is here right now. And so a lot of us, we're pointing down the field. Yes, we have that hope. Yes, we know that he rose. And yes, we know he's coming back. But what's he doing right now? Well, he's near to the brokenhearted. And so I think it's incumbent upon all of us, man, sit in that. Don't don't move on quickly. I think the justice movement, the black Christian justice movement, whatever you want to call it, we move on so fast. And that's why people move on, too. What would happen if we refuse to be consoled? What would happen if we said, no, I'm not going to stop posting about this just because it makes you uncomfortable, just because I need to appear balanced to people, just because I'm afraid of what people are saying? What does lament know of that? No lament says I'm going to sit in it for a little bit and I'm coming out because I'm pointing to the King. But in this moment, you're not going to move me on now. What would happen if the church had lamenting services? <laughs> like what would happen if we really pulled back out and said, man, we need to engage our grief because this suppressing this is unhealthy. Pushing this down is, it's damaging us. So anyway, man, I didn't mean to preach a sermon. I'm just saying, don't move Look, on.
0: No, pass- Sometimes
1: you need to refuse consolation because there is a witness in that and that witness is Mm. god isn't just god in the consummation of all things he's god now too